How is everyone? Hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, this is, I think, our third week now of, of doing these video lessons, and um, still not still not used to it. So I miss all you guys. I hope everyone's healthy. I hope everyone's doing their best to, to, uh, to take care of themselves. I don't know if anyone else is eating way too much and getting a little stir-crazy, but um, that's not why I'm wearing this thing today. I just figured since I'm going to be on TV for a while, I might as well start dressing like Fred Rogers. So... Uh, Anyways, if you're new to the church, if you're new to watching anything from the experience community since uh, this whole COVID-19 thing has been going on, um, we're in the book of Matthew. We've been working with it uh, and through it for quite some time now. And where we're at in the scripture, if you have a Bible, uh, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, that we're in, we're in a very, very important part of it. Uh, We've been, uh, for the last, gosh, Man, a month or so, we've been in chapters five, six, and seven. And we did the first half of chapter seven last week. We only got through, I think, 12 verses. So we didn't even get through half of chapter seven last week because there's so much going on. And in this part that we're in right now in Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And basically what's happening right here is Jesus, who is still a, a pretty young man, he died as a young man, but he was, he was about 30 years old at this time. He had his 12 disciples. He invited them away from the crowd of people up onto a hillside. He began to teach them, it says, in chapter five. And what we've seen over the last couple of chapters and at the end of chapter seven is that by the time he was done teaching, uh, he started off teaching his 12. By the time he was done, he had this massive crowd around him. And he was saying these very simple but extremely profound principles to these group of people. And that's where we're in right now. And we're gonna wrap up the Sermon on the Mount today, okay? If you weren't with us last week, though, if you didn't watch the, uh, the live stream last week, let me tell you what we talked about. We talked about a couple of things. The beginning of chapter seven is fascinating because we have some of the most misinterpreted scripture. We have some of the most misused scripture. And we have some of the least applied scripture, maybe in the entire Bible, just in the first half of chapter seven. So the most misunderstood is the the teaching on judgment and how Jesus says, judge not unless you're going to be judged by the same standard. And we often misinterpret what that says, but we are to make judgments, but we're to make them righteously, not hypocritically. We also talked about the golden rule at the end of our lesson last week. And the golden rule is basically the idea that we are to treat other people the way we would like those people to treat us. But we kind of finished with this thought, that oftentimes uh, in society, in culture, and even as Christians, when we read the Bible sometimes, we constantly want to look at other people and say, well, look at how evil that is. Look at how evil their actions are. Look at how evil this group of, of people are. And look at all these terrible things that my neighbor is doing. And we ended last week talking about Jesus really wants us through the word, through his spirit, through a relationship with him, Jesus wants to point out the evil that's within us, that we have to first deal with the evil in us before we can go out into a world that, yes, is pretty evil. Before we can bring the light, though, into an evil world, we have to make sure that the light is in us. We have to talk about the evil that's in us. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're gonna talk about this, and we're gonna hit on some, some pretty interesting things that, again, are shockingly pertinent to to what's going on in the world. But we're gonna ask ourselves this question. 
Have you and I had a true encounter with God? A life-changing encounter with God, okay? We may say that we're a Christian or you may not say that you're a Christian. So we're gonna bring up the question, have we had an encounter with God, okay? So a little bit different than when people are in this room, but you should have notes on the Experience Community app. If you download that, and we've had a lot of people download that, the apps and the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the notes and the scripture should be on the app. If you're on our website, we should have the notes on our website. If you have a Bible, we're in the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. We're in the second half of chapter seven. And so um, if you have all those things, we should be ready to go. I'm gonna pray. We'll jump into the, to, to the sermon today, to the lesson today. And um, I hope you're blessed by it. Uh, before I pray, I just wanna tell you, I, before we do these recordings, um, I just pray a little bit and, and, uh, and just ask God to, even though circumstances are different, I just hope by hearing the word, I hope that you're encouraged. There's so much discouragement right now. There's so much fear. There's so much uncertainty. I just really hope today that you, you really listen to what God is saying, not, not what Corey's saying, but what the word of God is saying to us and how much comfort and power and authority are in these words. So my prayer is that even though it looks a little different right now, even though we're not in a church building, we are still the church. You're in your home, you're with your family, and that's a good thing in this season right now. It's okay. But I just really hope that the word of God just really penetrates our hearts this week, okay? That's my prayer. That's what I've been praying. So let me pray right now. We'll jump into this, okay? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I wanna thank you, Lord, for everyone who's watching this right now. I wanna thank you, Lord, for all the encouragement we've gotten and support we've gotten. Father, keep your hand on our church, Lord, the experienced community, Lord. Even though we're not meeting in a physical building, God, the, the people all around Middle Tennessee, Lord, that call this church their home in the different counties we're in, Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on them. Father, we also pray for every church, Lord. I usually just pray for the churches in our county, God, but Lord, I wanna pray for, for the church, Lord, for all churches, Father. Keep your hand on the pastors, Lord. Give them wisdom. Give us grace during this time. Keep your hand on the congregations. Lord, keep your hand on our local government. Keep your hand on our first responders. Keep your hand on our federal government, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray that all of our conversation today, Lord, not only does it honor you and make you proud, Lord, we pray that it really touches our hearts today, God, and sharpens us and guides us and directs us, Lord. Father, we love you. Keep your hand on me as I teach today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let me read a bit. I'm starting in verse 13 of chapter seven. I'm gonna read just a little bit. Go back and break it down, okay? Here we go. Jesus speaking. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it? So here's the thing. In the second half of chapter seven, we're not really learning anything new. Jesus is reiterating what he has already taught us and he is reminding us to obey the simple commands of what he is saying and what the word of God has been saying. So here's the thing about that, guys. The teachings of the Bible are not overtly complicated. 
Now, don't get me wrong. There are things in the Bible that are complicated, right? When you get into the book of Revelation, when you get into the book of Ezekiel or Daniel or some of those books, don't get me wrong. There are some complicated things in those books. But the overarching principles of the Bible are not complicated. So the problem with most of us in the word of God and the problem with most of us in being a Christian is not that we can't understand what God is telling us to do. It's that we fail to apply it. So it's not an understanding issue, a comprehension issue. It's an application issue. That's where we mess up is we simply do not do what the Bible tells us to do. So we have to make a decision. And Jesus only gives us two choices. One path is one that leads to life and life everlasting. The other path is one that leads to death, spiritual death, and it leads to destruction. So we often say in Christianity, we'll say things like, well, they're just lukewarm. Well, I'm on the fence. There is no fence. There is no lukewarm. I know what the book of Revelation chapter three says, but there is no lukewarm Christian. You are either for Christ or you are against Christ. There is no in-between. And Jesus leaves no wiggle room in this. He says, you are either walking the road that I want you to walk or you're not. So we have to make a decision. Which path are we choosing to take? Moses wrote this. Back, way back towards the beginning of the Bible, Moses was speaking on behalf of God and wrote this. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I've set before you two paths, life and death, blessing and curse. And Moses says, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. What does it mean to choose life? This is what it means. Love the Lord your God, obey him and remain faithful. That's it. So we're given two choices. The, 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 the writers of the Bible, including Jesus himself, encourages us to choose life, right? Makes sense. And how do we choose life? We love God, we obey God, we remain faithful to God. Pretty simple stuff. And so choosing life is more than just saying we believe in God. I'm gonna get on a rant here in a second. So if we choose to follow Jesus, we go beyond just believing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, right? Believing that Jesus is everything he says he is. And we actually do what God commands us to do. And so many of us, especially in the Christian South, right? We say we believe. And if you've come to this church for any length of time, you've heard me comment and you've heard me quote the book of James, where it says, even the demons in hell believe in Jesus. They were created by Jesus. They were booted out of heaven by Jesus. Even the demons in hell believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. But because they have not followed Jesus, they're not in eternity with Jesus. So whenever people say, well, I believe, that's great that you believe. But if you truly believe what this word says, the Bible says we're going to be held accountable for our actions. So if we truly believe, we are going to act on those beliefs. We are going to do something about it. We are going to live this word out, okay? So Jesus has these two pathways that he talks about, right? And one of them is called the narrow gate and one of them is called the wide gate. Now, what is the narrow gate that Jesus is talking about? The narrow gate is simply the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only pathway to salvation. 
That is a very, very controversial thing to say in our very pluralistic, relativistic society, isn't it? But Jesus said it. And if we claim to follow Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, right? I am the pathway. And so to be a Christian means that we believe that the only way to get to a good afterlife is through Jesus Christ. Now, in the most simplistic terms, this is what that means. This is the narrow gate kind of defined. It means that we have faith in Jesus Christ. It means that we believe the Bible is the infallible word of God and that we follow the commands of the infallible word of God. That is the narrow gate. So when Jesus says narrow, narrow doesn't mean that there's not gonna be a lot of people saved. Narrow means there's only one way to be saved. One way, okay? Very important. The opposite of that then would be the wide gate. Now the wide gate is any pursuit besides Jesus. So if Jesus is the narrow path, the exclusive path, everything besides Jesus is the wide gate. Now, once upon a time in Western civilization, that would be kind of uh, characterized by all kinds of manufactured gods, right? The Greek gods, the Roman gods, all kinds of different gods that would be kind of characterized by that. Nowadays, we don't necessarily have a lot of manufactured gods in the United States. And don't get me wrong, there are other false religions. There are people that uh, have idols in their lives but the biggest false God we have right now in our culture is ourself. It is the God of self. But the bottom line is this. Whenever we depend on any other level of righteousness, whenever we depend on any other way to be saved and redeemed besides Jesus Christ, besides God, we're on a path to destruction. Narrow gate, exclusively Jesus. Wide gate, anything that is not Jesus, okay? These are the two paths that Jesus Christ has laid out, all right? Next part. Jesus says, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, he's talking about the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you lawbreakers. Evidence. So this is interesting. Jesus says, be on guard because a lot of false prophets are gonna come. Now, listen, there have always been false religions. Almost since the, the dawn of humanity, right? There has always been false teachings about God or gods, okay? Jesus understood, Jesus knew 
right? Jesus knew that after Christianity was going to be birthed, it wouldn't take long before people would take the Christian faith, distort it and twist it and turn it for personal gain. Okay? And we see this. If you go back and study the history of the Christian church, it was just a couple of decades after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven that Christianity started to go awry in a lot of different directions. Here's what we learn, though. Jesus takes heresy very seriously. Heresy is any false teaching about God. He takes that very seriously. And he calls people that are heretical... He calls them ravaging wolves, ravaging wolves in sheep's clothing. So what do we learn from this? We learn that theology is important. Whenever I hear people say, well, it's not important to get into deep theology. It's not important to get into systematic theology. Doctrine's not important. The heck it's not. It's extremely important. And we see that to God. That's why we have the word of God to teach us proper theology, to teach us proper doctrine. Now, when it comes to people that come into the flock, the church, right, who Jesus calls ravaging wolves, how do we deal with these wolves? Wolves come into the church, they come into the flock, the people of God, and they come in with the intention of harming, right? That's why the analogy about a wolf among sheep is used. So the only way to deal with a wolf around the flock, if you're a good shepherd, is you have to get rid of the wolf. Now that's extremely unpopular. And I've had to ask over the years, not a lot, but a couple, I've had to ask people who were gossipers, who were backbiters, who were slanderers, who came into the experienced community church and taught false doctrine. I have had to, over the past, ask people to leave. And some people say, well, how dare you? How dare you ask people to leave the church? I dare, and any good pastor should dare, because we are called by God to be shepherds. There's a reason why a shepherd has a staff, not just to direct the sheep in a certain direction, but a good shepherd has a staff as a weapon to protect the flock from wolves. Now listen, here's the thing. At this church, in any good church, we can work with people who have porn addictions or sex addictions. We can work with people who have chemical dependencies. We can work with people who have, uh, who've had a history of, of lying or doing things uh, uh, self-destructive. We can work with that. We cannot work. We cannot rationalize with divisive people and people who are here to hurt the church. We have to remove those people from the flock. That's a biblical thing to do. So how do we even identify a wolf? Well, Jesus puts it very simply. Look at the fruit. Look at how they live. Now that can be tricky because sometimes it takes time to see the real fruit. But this isn't just with destructive people. Guys, we can apply this to people all the time in our lives. That we are to look at the fruit, right? And make righteous, wise judgments. Going back to the beginning of chapter seven. So even if we're not talking about harmful, destructive people, if we're taking financial advice from someone that's broke and doesn't have any money, right, and is in debt up to their eyeballs, we look at the fruit of their lives and say, I shouldn't take their financial advice, right? There's an old saying, don't take cooking instructions from a thin cook, right? That we are to look at the fruit of people's lives, and if they're not producing the fruit that we want to produce, maybe we shouldn't let them speak into our lives so much. Here's how God helps us with this process. God gives us the gift of discernment, 
God gives us the gift of wisdom. And if we have those gifts from the Holy Spirit, ask for those gifts from the Holy Spirit. We have this uh, supernatural ability to see the real fruit of individuals. And people may be able to fake it for a time, but if we are in touch with God and we're really looking closely, we will be able to decipher if people are really producing good fruit or if they're producing something that may be harmful. So here's the thing about people who are producing divisive, evil, heretical fruit. God is gonna deal with these people. And Jesus alludes to eternal judgment, damnation. He says that every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. And so he is alluding to the afterlife, that even if we do not catch every bad fruit and every wolf in this world, Jesus sees it. So not only do I believe true Christians will recognize bad trees, but God is going to deal with people who have taken his word, distorted it, twisted it, taught it incorrectly, or maybe omitted parts of it, right? God is going to deal with these wolves in eternity. Now that should strike some fear into some of these actors that we call pastors, right? Some of these guys that get on TV, I know we're all on TV right now, but some of these guys have been on TV for years, right? That, hey, put your hand on the screen, right? If you just sow some seeds, God's gonna bless you tenfold. God is gonna deal with these clowns. God is going to take care of these people who have abused other people in the name of Jesus, who have distorted and twisted theology to work for their benefit. And so people may fool others, but they're never gonna fool God. There are some pretty crafty wolves out there and there are some still today that have succeeded in fooling large amounts of people for decades. But there will come a day, and Jesus tells us that, where everyone will be held accountable and the people who have not produced good fruit will be cut down and they'll be thrown into a fire. The other side of this is this. There will also come a day where a lot of people who have banked on religion as collateral for salvation will find out that that has not worked. Just by simply going to church and shouting Jesus's name or even go so far to say, cast out demons and do miraculous things. If these people don't have a relationship with God, their religious practices will not save them. It is only by a relationship with Jesus Christ that we are known by him and that we know him. So this is kind of an interesting subject for me. I came out of a very charismatic denomination that focused very heavily on certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the mistake that those individuals made is over time, and it's not because I think they're necessarily evil people, but some people have made idols out of the gifts of God and lost focus of God himself. And so when Jesus says, you've cast out demons, you've done miracles, you've done all these things, they're focusing more on the gifts than they are the giver of the gifts. And our salvation is not because God has given us gifts. Our salvation comes because we have a relationship with the giver of gifts. And it's the gifts of the Holy Spirit are just icing on the cake, if you will. They are extra blessings. They are kind of an overflow of our relationship with God. The thing is this, guys, and, and we're, we, we still do it even today. Humans are masters at idolatry. We make idols out of everything, everything. We even do it in Christianity. We wanna make idols out of pastors or certain worship teams or we wanna make idols out of the church building or whatever the case may be. 
and idolatry is wrong. So we have to intentionally make God the focus all the time, okay? Last part. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed, listen to this, with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes who were the most educated religious people in their culture. Fascinating. Now, something very important that we can miss if we're not careful. Jesus says it's not just those that hear his words, it's those that hear his words and act on those words. So the mark of a true Christian is to not only hear the word of God, but to do the word of God, to be obedient to the word of God. Jesus says that when we live in obedience to the word, we're building our foundation, our lives, right? On a rock, something that is immovable, something that's going to stand regardless of what happens. So there is this very false sense of security that a lot of Christians have when they say we believe. I said this earlier, didn't I? Whenever people say, man, I believe, I believe. Okay, but do you live it? It's one thing to believe. You know, this room could be pitch black and I could believe that if I go to that switch and flip it up that the lights are gonna come on. But if I don't get up out of my seat and walk over and flip the switch, it's gonna remain dark. I can believe all day long that that switch is over there. But if I do not act on that belief, I will not be able to see. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. So true belief sets us up to be truly secure. I love this analogy. Jesus says, so when the rain comes, when the rivers rise, you're gonna be okay. Now he's not literally talking about people who build a house next to a river. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the storms of life. What we are going through right this minute. That's what he's talking about. So what we learn is this. Having a relationship with God does not prohibit bad things from happening, but having a relationship with God sustains us when bad things happen. So bad things are gonna happen. Listen, right now, I don't care if you're the most righteous person on earth or the most unrighteous person on earth, we are all going through this COVID-19 thing together right now, right? We're all going through it, whether you're good or bad. The difference is, is if we've built a foundation on something that is strong, we're gonna be sustained through this. Regardless of what happens, we're gonna be okay. But if we have not built our foundation on God, we're gonna go through a lot of hard times. Life will be turbulent for all of us at one point or another. So those of you out there that are believers in God, we must remember this life is temporary. It is temporary and it is the life to come that we are truly investing in. So the, the other thing about what we're talking about today is as Jesus is talking, he leaves no ambiguity as to who he is. 
right? He is the son of God. He is also God in flesh. And he leaves no wiggle room there. So Jesus didn't leave any ambiguity as to who he was. He did not leave any ambiguity as to what his authority was. He openly claims in the Bible, in the gospels, to be one with the father, saying, I am both the son of God and I am God as well. The, the Holy Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Spirit, all equally God themselves. And so the identity of Jesus, who we believe Jesus to be, is core at our salvation. It's who we believe him to be. And so we have to be clear. There are so many people who have kind of manufactured their version of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't leave any room for us to create our own Jesus he, he's very implicit and very explicit about what his authority is, who he is, why he came. So I have this huge issue. Whenever I'm talking to someone, again, back in the, the good old days when we could hang out with each other, when I would be at coffee shops or something like that, and I would hear people say something, and it always really bugged me. They would say, well, I don't believe Jesus would do that. Or I believe Jesus would say this. I don't believe Jesus would put any restrictions on love. I don't believe Jesus would do this or that. The reason why that bothered me is I, I look at people who say that and I say, well, why do you believe that? Do you get that belief from the word of God or do you get that belief by the standards of the world? Now, what we have done in our culture, in our society, and we've done it in America, is we have concocted and manufactured a God in our image where the Bible says he's not made in our image. We are made in his image. So if someone says to me, well, I don't believe Jesus would do that. Okay, you can have your beliefs, but you have to show it to me here. You have to show me in the word of God why you believe what you believe, okay? Because Jesus does not leave any wiggle room as to who he is and what his mission is, all right? So we talked about those who hear and act, they build their foundation on a rock. What about those who hear the word of God, maybe even some of you right now, and who do not act on it? If active listeners build a foundation on a rock, then non-active hearers, there's a difference between listening and hearing, non-active hearers build a shaky foundation on sand. Again, turbulence will come. And if we have not built our foundation on a rock, when the rivers rise, when the storms come, what we have built a foundation on, because it's weak, it will crumble. We're seeing this a lot right now in our culture. A lot of people have built a foundation on things that just aren't going to stand. We have seen that, right? And I hope that we're paying attention. I hope that we're being humbled by it. So what started off as a talk with Jesus and his 12 followers, right? I love this. Jesus tries to get alone for a minute, goes up on a hillside, brings his 12 closest friends. He goes, come on, guys, let's go up here. Let's sit, let's chill, let's talk. By the time it's done, this, this massive crowd, no telling how big this crowd was, right, had grown and they're all listening to him. So as this massive crowd heard this extremely simple but extremely profound message from this very young teacher, again, he's probably about 30 years old at this time, he was a young man. As they heard these words, it says that they sat back, right? And they were astonished at what he was saying because there was power it was simple, it was comprehensible, but it was authoritative. It was powerful, it was correct. 
It was the simple, practical, and challenging words of God. And if we will approach, look, right here. If we will approach the word of God with humility, the simplicity, the beauty, the practicality, the power and authority of these words, it truly is astonishing. When we sit back and if we're humble enough to say that we don't have it all figured out and we go to this for some answers, you will be blown away with the information and the knowledge and the power behind these words. This is the mind of God on paper. And if we approach it with humility, it'll absolutely change your life. Absolutely change your life. So let's talk about that for a second. This authority of the word of God. If you go back and study the history of these words, right? The people who have lost their lives to put these words together on paper. The people who had memorized 39 books of the Old Testament so they could, they could communicate it to other people to write these words down from generation to generation. The power of this. This book has changed the way the world works. It has changed so many things in the world. This book, the Word of God, it holds the fundamental principles of God. It holds the, the plan of salvation are in these words. And it even holds the practical, simple ways that we are to live this life now. When I say simple, practical ways, very simple things like the debtor is slave to the lender, right? And a lot of us now are panicking because we're so much in debt, we don't have anything in our savings account and we're struggling when the Bible says that if you're in debt, you're a slave to the lender. That if you don't count the cost, it's like a foolish man that builds a building and can't finish it. The Bible talks about practical, simple applications and how we handle our marriages, how we raise our children, how we conduct ourselves in business, everything. It's in here. Practical, simple application. Powerful though. So are we humble, teachable listeners when we hear the word of God today, right? You've heard the word of God. Do we approach this sermon? Do we approach Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 through 29? Do we approach these teachable, humble, or are we tuning in because we just want to hear something new, right? But we're not actually going to do these things. We're not going to apply these things. We're not going to believe fully in these things. How are we approaching the authoritative word of God today? Now, let's go a little bit deeper, okay? Let's talk about rock versus sand for a second. Are we acting on the information that we just heard? Are we acting on the information that we're listening to in different sermon, sermons? Are we acting on the things that we read in the Bible? Are we acting on what the Lord may be saying during our prayer time? Are we simply hearing or are we hearing and doing? And let me ask you a question. Is it enough to simply believe? I can quote to you passages in the Bible that say it's not. But is it enough to simply say, well, I believe. Going back to the analogy about the dark room, right? To sit in a pitch black room when the switch is over there. I believe that that'll turn the light on. If you truly believe that, then get up and flip it. Get up and go flip that switch and illuminate the room. So if we believe that Jesus is our Savior, 
If we believe that he is the rock, we should be actively building a foundation on that rock. We should be responding to that. Let me ask you this, and this is very uh, sensitive, very pertinent for our situation right now. What have we built our foundation on? Was all your security in your 401? That's hurting right now, isn't it? Was all your security into the government? Was all your security into sports and entertainment? What have we built our foundation on? Let me ask you this. How are our ways holding up right now? Good? Feel comfortable right now? Everything's secure? What have the ways of the world brought us besides panic and discord and chaos? How are the ways of the world holding up? Are they working right now? Let me tell you what's on my heart. And no one's in the room. I, you can send me a nasty email later, later, I guess. Let me ask you this. Are we going to learn our lesson during this time? I'm going to be really, really personal and, and, and maybe hurt some feelings here for a second. I hear so many people talking about, well, I'm going to get a check from the government. Well, I get time off. It's like a big vacation, right? We're going to get bailed out. Maybe during this time we should step back and say, man, we didn't save the way we should. Man, we're going into debt so deep right now in our nation that our children's 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 children will not be able to pay off this deficit. Do we step back right now and say, man, we can live without sports, can't we, right? We haven't had any sports, and guess what? The world has continued to rotate on its axis. Amazing. You know what? There are so many people posting, and I know they're trying to be funny, but these memes about you know, how many people are gonna get divorced having to spend this much time with their spouse? And it's fascinating to me. Why would we even joke about something like that? Maybe in this time, some fathers should reconnect with their children. Maybe during this time, some wives should reconnect with their husbands. Maybe God has taken this opportunity to pause everyone for a second and say, get your crap together because what you have built your foundation on is sinking sand. You know what my greatest fear is during this time is not about a virus. It's that all this will happen, we'll get back to normal, and we still would not have learned our lesson. We still have not taken a step back and said, we have been doing it wrong. We have been spending our money wrong. We have been greedy. We have been too much in debt. We have not spent adequate time with our wives and our husbands. We have not spent adequate time with our children. We have not invested in the right things. And I'm so afraid that so many of us are gonna get bailed out. That it's like a bad parent that still enables their children that don't have any, don't have any responsibility. This isn't about the government. This isn't about you getting a check in the mail. This is about our hearts, guys. Are we going to learn our lesson through this time? Or, we, or will we continue to build our foundation on things that are not very stable? See, the crowd, when they were sitting around Jesus, Jesus wrapped up his sermon on the mount. It began with a conversation with his buddies and it ended with a sermon, the most epic sermon ever recorded. And it says that the crowds were amazed because they saw something different than religion. They saw something different from just the way that things had been done in the past. What they had encountered is they encountered true power. They encountered the truth that came out of the mouth of God. 
these words that would forever change the way we acted, forever changed how we had a relationship with our heavenly father, the words that would have the power to save. That's why they sat back in astonishment. There was something different than just religion. There was this relationship, this connection with God. So let me ask you, have you had this encounter? I'm not talking about the time you were 12 years old at a camp and you repeated what the guy said on the stage. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Woohoo, let's go out and like, you know, sleep with somebody, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Have you had an encounter with God that has absolutely wrecked your life? Have you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that has put you down on your face thanking the Lord for his grace and mercy? Have you had an encounter? And let me tell you, if you have, your actions will speak for it. I'm under the belief that if you've had a true encounter with the creator of the universe, you're never going to be the same. Never. And if you say you've had an encounter with the creator of the universe, but you go right back to all the things that you've had before, I would argue that maybe you haven't had that encounter. Let me ask you though, have you had that encounter with God? And if not, what will it take? Will it take another pandemic? Will it take an economic collapse? Because that's coming. What will it take to get us to hit our face and say, God, you're bigger. God, you're greater. God, you're the rock. And I have placed my foundation on sinking sand and I want to put it on you. I'm going to leave you with something that I read in an article this week. I was reading an article from a British pastor about the pandemic. And it's interesting that I was reading it this week, preparing for a, a webinar I'm going to do Wednesday night. But as I was preparing for this, at the very end of his article, he wrote these two things, and it happens to be pertinent to what we're teaching this weekend. And so I just wanted to, to quote him. Glenn Scrivener said this. He said, we all need to point to the sinking sand of the world, which is the weakness of our flesh, the uncertainty of the markets, and the mortality of us all. We must also preach and prize Christ the rock, knowing that he alone can, he alone will, weather the storms. What's our foundation on today, guys? What have we built our foundation on? And has, has the, the sand of the world, is it working right now? And if not, shouldn't we consider building a foundation on something better? Listen, if you're watching this right now and you are not a believer, you're not a Christian, but maybe you're asking some questions right now to yourself, I want to encourage you, please get a hold of our office. You can email us at info at experiencecc.com. Info at experiencecc.com. We'll have a pastor reach out to you. We'll touch base with you. When all this madness passes, we'll set up a time to meet face-to-face -face with you. And we'll walk you through the gospel and we'll help you get plugged in, okay? We'll do our best to answer any questions you may have. If you are listening to me right now and you need any help, if you need any prayer, if you need any assistance, also get a hold of us, info at experiencecc.com. As long as we can, we're having this room open to do prayer. Less than 10 people. There's plenty of room to move around, plenty of sanitizer. We're doing it all by CDC standards. You can come in here, you can pray. Or we can pray with you over the phone. We can get a hold of you. We'll make it work, okay? 
The last thing is this. If you've been taking communion with me during this time, if you have not thought about this, if you have not asked for God to forgive you of your sins, this is a good time before we take the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine, before we take this, we have to ask God to deal with the darkness in us, okay? So I'm gonna pray. We'll take communion together and we're gonna pray that this passes. We're gonna pray that people are safe. We're gonna pray that God is merciful during this time and we're gonna pray that we learn our lesson during this time, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Thank you for another week together, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that this, this pandemic passes. We pray, God, that the people who have been affected by it, Lord, that you give them comfort, touch their bodies, Lord, touch their minds and their hearts, God. Lord, for anyone watching this that doesn't know you, Lord, let them reach out to us. For anyone that needs prayer or assistance, God, Lord, let them reach out to us. And Father, before we take the body and blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, we wanna pray that you address any sin in our heart, God, forgive us of what we've done wrong. And Lord, as we take this bread, Lord, that, that represents your body that was broken for us, God, we wanna thank you, Jesus, for the links you went to for us on the cross. Father, we also take this wine, God, that is symbolic of your blood that was shed for us on the cross, that forgives us of our sin, Lord, that gives us a fresh start. Lord, thank you for your son that came and died for us, Lord, and that he rose again on the third day and that your Holy Spirit was sent to us, God, to help us during this time. Lord, we take this wine, Lord, as a remembrance of your blood shed for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God. And for everyone watching this right now, we just pray that God be with you and that the peace of God be with you and remain strong and keep building your foundation on Christ, the rock. And however things shake down, I give you my word because it's his word. We'll be okay. God bless you guys. Have a good weekend.